you're listening to the Tongue Tie Experts Podcast, a weekly program providing information and support for those families impacted by tongue and lip tie and the professionals caring for them. I'm Lisa Palladino, a midwife and a lactation consultant with over 30 years of experience. If you are a parent looking for answers or a professional who is curious to learn more than what you learned in school on this topic, welcome. This podcast is for you. A gentle disclaimer, please do not consider anything discussed on this podcast by myself or any guest of the podcast to be medical advice. The information is provided for educational purposes only and does not take the place of your own medical or lactation provider. Thank you. Welcome to the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. I'm thrilled today to have with me Dr. Martin Rosen. Dr. Rosen has, um, over the past four decades, after graduating Life Chiropractic College, summa cum laude, while maintaining a full-time private practice, he has traveled nationally and internationally, teaching the SOT Chiropractic Pediatrics Cranial Adjusting philosophy and practice management. He currently practices with his wife, Dr. Nancy Watson, and his daughter, Dr. Erin Rosen. In an attempt to make his teachings more available to the chiropractic profession, he has compiled many videos and online programs and manuals of his work. And we'll talk about all of that today. Um, From Wellesley, Massachusetts, I welcome today Dr. Martin Rosen. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today with me. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this, Lisa, and thank you for having me. I I think this is a great topic, and the stuff you do is just so important that I'm really honored to be part of it. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's so important for us to be getting the message out to the world because I feel that uh, mainstream medicine has uh, given an injustice to the uh, arts that are healing, (laughs) and medicine itself isn't actually healing. It's more like uh, trying to... I don't know what I won't, I won't go there, but anyway, we, to, <laughs> we can leave it at. It's a different paradigm. Yes. It's a different paradigm. It's a sickness paradigm. We are looking for a health paradigm. Perfect. I love that. So, so Dr. Dr. Rosen, tell me a little bit about, more about yourself and what you do. Cause I gave a general introduction, sure. but tell, tell my listeners more about what you do. So as you said, I did graduate chiropractic school in 1981, um, got married to Dr. Nancy Watson, and we had her fir- our first child, April of 1982. My oldest daughter just turned 40 yesterday, so I'm feeling a little bit uh, nostalgic, old, a lot of things. But anyhow, we had that. So um, we started a pediatric family practice from the get-go. We started taking care of kids and family members. Um, as chiropractors, our goal was to help people increase their functional potential, regardless of their disease symptoms or problems. And we know that in the first two years of life, the brain will grow over 101% in the first year and 15 in the second. Um, The cranium grows two and a half times its size. So we realized it it set the foundation 
for the neurology of the person for the rest of their lives. So I continue to study and practice and I've been teaching. Actually, I taught my first seminar with my wife, Dr. Watson in 1979, when we were still students. And we've been teaching ever since we have taught all over the world. We've been to Australia, New Zealand, Europe. Um, we teach SOT and pediatrics. So SOT is a technique known as sacral occipital technique. And it was developed by a man named Dijonet. And it has some very specific neurological indicator systems. And it's adjusting protocols are set so that we can adjust anything from infants to you know athletes to 90 year olds. There's a whole set of protocols. It has very different adjusting protocols than standard, what people think of standard chiropractic, though we can use those techniques. And over the years, um, Dijonet, who actually graduated school even before me, 1924, um, he understood the importance of pediatrics, but he did not actually teach it for a number of reasons, probably given the time when he was also graduate school. So I kind of took on the role in, in the beginning of the SOT and I wrote their first pediatric program. And that's been my focus. I've written, as you said, manuals. We have a, a company called Peak Potential Institute, which runs online seminars as well as hands-on seminars for the chiropractic profession and chiropractic students. And we also have books and manuals. And as I said, the last book that my wife and I actually wrote together for lay people to understand neurological development milestones and the importance of structure and function is called It's All in the Head. I so love that. Kind of uh, yeah, I was just about to ask you, what do you have for the lay population? Because right. I know I have listeners who are um, professionals, but right. I also have a lot of families that listen sure. who are trying to get answers or trying to optimize their children's development, yeah. you know, and, you know, I love that you say that about um, increasing functional capacity and opt yeah. optimizing things because sometimes, especially for a new family, it's very overwhelming oh, God, to yeah. hear. I mean, they're just overwhelmed, in yeah, general, overwhelmed, especially with what's going on with, you yeah. know, the whole pandemic the situation. Down, the pandemic. And yep. There's less support for new families and often the first time they hear of these therapies is when they come into my office for lactation Ooh, support. Absolutely. And I get like a deer in the headlights look and yeah. I get like, you know, chiropractor for my baby. What is yeah. Why? What do you yeah. mean? You know? So um, maybe you can speak on the reason why families or parents shouldn't be afraid of chiropractic for their babies. That's you know, why? Question. Yeah, because I get that a lot. I get I like I know that half of the people that I suggested to are terrified when I say it. Absolutely. So the first thing I asked somebody, a patient or somebody who come in and said, I talked to my pediatrician, I talked to my doctor, said I was bringing my kid to a chiropractor and they said, oh, my God, don't do that. The first question I ask is ask the pediatrician what we do. Because they don't know. Because the stuff you see on YouTube and the stuff you hear and the cracky that has nothing to do with pediatrics. Okay, pediatric chiropractic care is a specialty, just like pediatrics is a specialty. You wouldn't go to a, a gerontologist or you wouldn't go to you know a proctologist with your baby, right? You would go to a pediatrician or a pediatric neurologist if there's a problem. So pediatric chiropractic is very specialized. It's so specialized that it's actually even, and those sound, may sound weird, safer to adjust an infant or a child than it is to adjust an adult because the amount of force that we're using is so minimal that the chances of causing any damage are even less, which is 
very minimal in adult if done correctly as well, even less in a child. So the actual techniques and protocols are designed specifically for the pediatric spine and cranium. Um, and like I said, pediatric experts are chiropractors who have studied hours and hours and hours um, on special pediatrics. We have a program, a certificate program that is three 16 hour seminars that people can take. So they have to get certified, they have to take a test. There's other companies like the ICPA or ICA, they're chiropractic organizations that specialize in pediatric programs. Some of them are year long programs. Ours is a, a three month, we also have an online 10 month program. So you're actually going to someone who is an expert in that particular area. And again, just to reiterate the techniques that we use on pediatric are very specific, very specified, very what we call low force, very non-invasive, and are actually safer than what we use on adult patients. And and um, I like to use the word gentle because yeah. that is um, it's extremely gentle. That, yeah, it's extremely extremely gentle. Sometimes yeah. I would say the average pressure is maybe four to six ounces of pressure. Mm -hmm. So if you have a little postal scale, go put your finger on the postal scale or a scale and try and, and press and you'll see what four to six ounces of pressure feels like. It's mm -hmm. really, it's really nothing. It's almost nothing. Right. I've had, um, because I've observed um, adjustments on infants mm -hmm. and I've been with the, like a mom will be with me watching her baby get adjusted right. and she'll say, wait, that was it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, not, you, know? <laughs> you know, and and sometimes the baby will cry and I'll say to the mom, you know, so I, I always want people to say sometimes your baby's going to cry because I have to hold them in a specific position for a couple of seconds. But what you'll see as soon as I'm done, they'll stop crying. And that's almost always the case. They may cry. They may squirm a little because I have to hold them for a second. And then when I'm done, they'll usually either start to coo or they'll smile, but they'll stop crying because it's not hurting them. So, and, and in some adjustments, actually the crying is helpful because when you adjust an adult, and I'm sure if you've been under chiropractic care, sometimes when we're adjusting, somebody will say, take a breath in and then take a breath out to relax, but you can't tell a two month old to do that. So honestly, when they're crying, they're breathing in and out. It actually sometimes helps facilitate the adjustment as well. That's interesting. But, yeah. And what, what about the, um, I know sometimes if, if I'm out of alignment right. and I have some aches or pains and I go right. for chiropractic treatment. Sometimes I feel not worse, but a little, not like a little tender, a little sore before I feel better. Yep. And I've had some babies in my care mm -hmm. that sort of seem to have that kind of reaction. Like sure. they're, they're a little upset right after, right. but then they, then they do. Better. Does that so, happen? So it's actually, honestly, in my experience, that's rare. Most of the time, Kids and babies, one of the first things they'll do after they get adjustment is sleep better. That's some of the one thing that parents will say, they're less irritable. But especially these days when you have kids with neurodevelopmental challenges or kids on the spectrum that are somewhat hypersensitive, the first one or two adjustments, because you're putting a different input into their system that they can't actually assimilate as well, they may be a little bit more irritable. They may be a little bit more tense, but it's very rare for that to happen more than one or two adjustments. And it's no different than you just, what I'll tell an adult is sometimes if they've never been adjusted, let's say a 40 year old comes in my office, never been adjusted, has some pain or something. I'll say, look, after the first adjustment or second, first and second adjustment, you may feel some soreness in your muscles, the kind of stuff you feel like if you haven't worked out for a while and go work out. Right. And the reason for that soreness is because when you make an adjustment, your body has already created a compensatory pattern that you're used to. So when I'm trying to correct that pattern, your muscles are going to try and rebound back to that pattern and they're going to fight the that a little bit. And that's going to cause 
some inflammation, less so than infants, obviously, because their muscle tone is decreased, especially non-ambulatory infants, because they don't have a lot of weight bearing. So the other thing that you have to remember is when we're making an adjustment, we're affecting the nervous system and how it functions. So in some cases, like I said, we're putting more input into the nervous system that the body has to assimilate. For those of you who have kids, you know that at certain points in your child's life, they go through different growth and neurological developmental stages. It may be milestone development. It may be teething. It may be cognitive function. And sometimes during that period, they'll be more irritable. They won't sleep as well. And all they're doing is integrating what has happened to the nervous system. So that's sometimes a piece of what's happening is we're affecting the nervous system and they're trying to integrate that. So it may take them a couple of hours or maybe even a day to assimilate that. But once they get used to that input, just like once they get used to holding their head up or crawling or whatever the stimulus is, then their system can adapt to that and calm down. Right. So it's I love not really that. a negative. Yeah. I love that. And um, yeah, it's all a normal part of development to have right. those um, times of irritability and, and growth and all that. And I'm going through that. Um, those who listen to me know I just became a grandma in January. So oh, my, congratulations. my grandson's a few months old and this week for the first time, well, he had a little fussiness in the beginning. We had some things we were going through, but this week was the first time he actually ever looked sad to me. Like he was integrating a new emotion. Like Absolutely. he, and it was even, even though it was hard to see like that little pout. And I know like he, he didn't care as much before who was in the room, but this right. time he was looking around for his mommy already and she wasn't there. And he had a little pout on his face and, understanding that it's all normal helps to, to handle it. Um, one of the, the other things that I see, and, and this is a, a, when you're dealing with the, with a newborn or infant population, yep. I'm going to get a little on the yucky talk side. A lot of what, what we're obsessed about is their diaper output. Yep, and, absolutely. and I'm a big proponent of the fact that, uh, you know, babies breastfed or not should not skip days of bowel movements because that's the sign that everything's working well. And I often refer to chiropractic Mm -hmm. to help with that issue because the first sign that parents see that lets them know that something changed in their baby's body is he pooped right after the adjustment. Exactly. I see that all the time. Yeah. So um, I I thought that was something worth mentioning on the chiropractic side of things. Well, I think that's true. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead if you want to talk a little bit on that. Well, I I do want to talk about it. So it's very, so throughout my career, I've been in practice 40 years. There are times when parents find out that chiropractic can help with a specific issue. Like when I first started, it was ear infections. Then it could be asthma. Then, you know, now it's tongue tie. Then it could be flagocephaly. But constipation is a big one in diarrhea. I cannot tell you how many parents have come in because they've gone to the pediatrician. The worst ever was a woman whose baby had not had a normal bowel movement for 21 days. Oh, and the pediatrician amazing. said, don't worry about it. Let's just give them some more uh, Marilax. But I've had people who kids poop once every five days, uh-huh. seven days. And the whole idea of sacral occipital technique, SOT, is the reason it's named after it's named after the sacrum, which is the tailbone and the occiput, which is the top bone in the skull. And what's interesting about that is we have two parts to our nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. So there's the fight or flight, the sympathetic part, which is in the spine. And then there's what we call the parasympathetic part, which is the rest and digest part that deals with digestion rest. And that's in the cranium and in the tailbone. 
So very often, if that system isn't working right, you will get changes in digestion and bowel movement. So how chiropractic impacts that is by balancing those two sides of that autonomic nervous system by making an adjustment, and then it allows the child to be able to have normal bowel movements. I have, I have a story. Um, I had this little boy brought in. He was 18 months old at the time, and he had really bad bowel movements. He would only go to the bathroom like once every seven to 10 days. So the parents brought him in. Um, I did his first adjustment. And exactly what happened. You said what happened. Mom came in the next visit and said, he pooped that night, you know, and now he's been pooping for the next couple of days. So I, he stayed under care. And um, he was doing really well. And then all of a sudden, they kind of disappeared from care. And about six months later, they showed up again. And mom said, oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Rose, you know, I wanted to continue care, but I got pregnant again. And then just life got really busy. But, um, you know, I'm coming back under care. And I said, well, how's, how's Johnny doing? You know, because I know he was having bowel wound troubles. It was balancing. She goes, well, I got to say, chiropractic is pretty amazing the way it, you know, stimulates his nervous system that Sometimes when he would have a day or two where he wasn't making, a, you know, wasn't going to the bathroom and I knew I couldn't get into your office or I didn't have the time, I'd put him in the car and drive by your office. And by the time I drove by your office, within 24 hours, he would have a bowel movement again. So we re-stimulated his nervous system. To <laughs> I know, That's I like magical. I love that. But I love the story. Is, yeah, we get a lot of kids yeah. who have those type of issues. Mm-hmm. You know, digestive yeah. issues are really common. Right. So, so, um, let's, let's go a little bit, um, onto tongue tie. And as we, I was explaining to you, because for those who aren't, who are, are listening, um, Dr. Rosen and I just met this morning, right before we started recording, because, um, he, he reached out to me and I saw his work and I was like, I have to get to know this man and introduce him to my audience because I love everything that he's doing. And we were having a little bit of a talk about tongue tie and how um, the reason that chiropractic is important in my practice and in the treatment of of tongue tie is because everything in the body is connected. And having a restriction in the mouth that is making breastfeeding difficult isn't just about that frenum under the tongue. And and so let's, let's talk a little bit about how chiropractic can help the tongue tie baby. Okay. So tongue tie, if you want to divide tongue tie into three sections, an anterior tongue tie, a middle tongue tie, and a posterior tongue tie. Now, the anterior tongue tie is the one where it's tied to the tip of the tongue. The baby can't get their tongue out past their lips. The tongue tends to curl down. They can't point it up. The typical right? heart shape that we right? see. Yeah, it's heart-shaped tongue, you know, mm-hmm. and, it's, and that is a real functional issue. And the reason for that is, so think about the tongue. There are, there are what we call transverse fascial planes in the body, like your diaphragm is the transverse. Women have, we have a pelvic diaphragm. We have a thoracic outlet. Well, the palate is also, which is, is a transverse fascial plane. So tension in those planes affects structure and they affect function. The other thing with the tongue tie is one of the things that's supposed to happen, and one of the reasons kids can't nurse well is because they can't take their lower jaw and push it forward, mm-hmm. right? So they can't latch. But the other thing, the worst part about that is if you can't get your lower jaw pushed forward and it gets pushed back, it'll change how it grows and how it develops. And I know we don't have video here, but if you think of a baby's head, like you think of your head as people think of their head as a solid bone. It's not. It's made up of a number of 14 bones and they're all you know interconnected. But in a baby, they're not actually connected. There's spaces between them and they're a little bit like tectonic plates that kind of float around um, based on how much what's called cerebral spinal fluid is inside the cranium and also what's called the dura, which is soft tissue that attaches to the bones and to the nerves. 
when a baby sucks correctly or pushes their tongue against the roof of their mouth, it also helps to form the palate. Mm -hmm. So a kid who can't nurse well or the tongue tie revision um, isn't re-stimulated, excuse me, really stimulated growth patterns, the palate may not grow right and it'll get very high and narrow. So when the kid's six or seven, they're going to go, oh, you need a palate spreader. Mm -hmm. So it affects the entire development of the cranium. It also affects the way the baby sucks. And as I said to you a minute ago, that crying is a way that we can monitor baby's breathing. Well, sucking is also kind of a way that the cranium expands and contracts when the baby is growing. Mm -hmm. So every time they suck in, it's like, you know, inhalation and exhalation. Sucking is the same thing. It's like inhalation on a suck and exhalation. That stimulates movement of, again, that stuff we call cerebral spinal fluid, but it also stimulates growth of the cranium. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's the emotional factor. You know, there's nothing that happens in a baby's life that doesn't have long-term consequences, that doesn't affect their nervous system, especially in the first two years. The nervous system is developing so fast that you don't want to miss that opportunity. So anterior tongue tie always needs to be cut. You can't function. A middle tongue tie, you have to be able to determine two things how much the structure is determining function and how much compensation is occurring. Because in some cases, especially with a posterior tongue tie, it actually shouldn't be cut because the posterior tongue tie really is not affecting function. It's just a slight anomaly. And in some cases, and I've had this happen, sadly, it gets cut and the child loses their ability to control their tongue and they have to retrain that. So the revision of a tongue tie when necessary is part one. Mm -hmm. Part two is reestablishing normal function and normal cranial bone motion and normal growth patterns. So that's extremely important. And also with the tongue tie, of course, we have to look for, you know, buccal ties and lip ties as well, because it's not uncommon, you know, the tot syndrome, all those occur together. So other signs that parents will see is, you know, if a child only likes to nurse on one side, if you look at the child's jaw and you see a really deep, deep crease below the lips, that means that the mandible, which is the lower jaw is pulled back. Or when they open their mouth, does the jaw deviate to one side more than the other? Or even things like if they can't turn their head both sides equally. That can be what we talked about is that fascial system that's restricted. And sometimes when you, or if the child doesn't like tummy time, it's all about tension. That's why sometimes kids get very irritable because there's too much tension in their nervous system and they don't know how to deal with it, but to cry. Right. Right. So you have to, you have to deal with those membranes that have also compensated for, you know, it's like, If you think of the tongue and a ligament, that's an attachment point and think about a ligament in your knee. If you hurt a ligament in your knee, if it's too tight or too loose, you're going to start to compensate and it's going to affect your structure all the way up. Well, the same thing with the tongue tie is going to affect the structure of the cranium, then into the neck, then into the spine, all the way down the tailbone. So it has a global effect, especially if the function is severely decreased. That's a beautiful explanation. Um, I'm going to elaborate on your um, anterior, mid and posterior. And I love that you use those terms instead of giving numbers to them, because the number systems of the assessment tools that we have for tongue tie often contradict each other. And I don't think they speak completely to the function. So I describe when I'm giving a report to a doctor about what I've seen in their, in their infant who's my patient, um, as well as theirs, I will describe the attachment and the function that's, that's um, impaired. So there are um, posterior, if if we're looking at the tongue tie and calling it those things, that's one thing, but it doesn't tell us the function. So you can have, I've seen anterior ties 
that function pretty well because uh-huh. they're more elastic, but that's rare. Right, right, um, I've right. seen posterior ties where the function is not there because as you said about bringing the jaw forward, right. but then the baby also has to lift their tongue while keeping their jaw open. Right. Exactly. Is, that's, right. That's, yep. And that's the trick, right? And those are the babies that um, the mom will say he comes onto the breast and then pops on and awesome. off because they literally can't stay on and keep right. their mouth open. Um, so, and the compensation, I love that, that you use that word because, you know, we hear so many stories about, oh yeah, so-and-so had a tongue tie, but they did fine. They did and then fine. later on, <laughs> you yeah. have all these problems right. that as providers who have eyes open about these things, you can look back and say, oh, you may think he's fine, but look, he's got this, this, and this, right. like, and my ultimate you know, uh, down the road, seeing problems is all about airway issues and absolutely airway issues apnea and, and you know, so, so, um, this isn't just about breastfeeding, but breastfeeding is the first function sleep, swallow, uh, suck, swallow, breathe yep, is the first exactly. that an infant has to perform in order biologically to survive. So yes, we can get them to be fed in other ways, but that's not that the sign is a red flag that their suck, swallow, breathe exactly. pattern didn't well, work effectively. Well, you know, it's a great, you made two great points. We made a lot of great points. Two of them in particular, like uh, is, yeah. So if you have a tongue tie and the baby's already compensating, when they get older, one of the things that makes it possible for you to speak correctly and enunciate is that you should be able to take your tongue put it behind your upper front teeth and open your mouth at least three quarters of the way that you can without your tongue staying there. Right. So you may have a little baby infant that looks like they're doing okay. And then when they start to speak at two or three, they end up with a lisp or they end up with problems with that. The mm-hmm. second piece, which we we've addressed and my wife and I've talked about it. And it's again, why we wrote this book. It's all in your head. What's all in the head is because we have then, and you pointed it out beautifully. We have accepted common as normal. Oh, Johnny has this. My kid has this. Oh, my kid doesn't. Oh, so if you could find five people that still have the same problem, you're like, that's cool. That's common. But does it make it normal? Right. right? So if you're in healthy travel, right. It's like we all get attracted to people that work, you know, help us or teach us lessons in their life or groups that we vacillate to. And, you know, especially during this time of the pandemic, it was really, you know, people would really delineate. They really took sides and you found people who you were like minded with and who you weren't. But the point around that is so if you're in a group where there is a bunch of children who are. Maybe so. If you're in a group, let's say your kid likes gymnastics, and you're in a group where these kids are doing really, really well, and your kid's not, that may stand out for you, right? But what if so? With what if instead of dealing with that, you find another group where kids are lower functioning, and you put your kid in that group, right? And right. then now because there's so many of those kids doing it, you figure ah, it's normal. So right. common is not normal, and that is what is happening. And that you know, you mentioned the medical profession before, and they, like I said, they have a different paradigm. If they see a number, and you mentioned, they see a number of people with a specific issue that then becomes normal. Perfect example of that is the new CDC guidelines that they just put out around milestones. I don't know if you're sure. But they lowered all the bars. Not all. They lowered most of the bars, including speech um, and ambulation. And also one of the worst things they did is they took out creeping and crawling. And so what they determined and what they said is that the original milestones that they found that, you know, there was too many people basically not reaching them. 
And instead of realizing that these milestones are pre-programmed into our nervous system, they've been there for generations, that instead of going, oh, these people, we're not going to, well, since they're not reaching them, let's lower the bar so more people can reach it. So instead of only 50% reaching these milestones, now we have 75 and now we've just made it normal. Right. And that's you know, really dangerous. Yeah. I almost can't digest that because it's so disturbing. It's horrific. Like it, it, it's, and in other words, we're going to accept less. We're exactly. going to, we're going to lower the standards right exactly so less less kids right. need help right right less kids need help there's less right. early intervention you know it'd be like saying okay so you you said you know you're talking about bowel movements because they you know it's very it's very empirical to see that right and so we started having an issue that where kids for whatever reason we're now only having bowel movements every five days and instead of looking at, well, why is that happening? Is it our food sources? Is, is it stress? Whatever. We would just go, oh, so five days is now the normal for balance. Right, right. You know, right. And I said, I was talking to a friend. I said, you know, we talk about human potential because that's what chiropractic is about. That's really what it's about. It's not just about symptoms. It's about helping people express their potential. Mm -hmm. I said, well, we watch, you know, a lot of people watch the Olympics, right? And I tend to like it. I like sports. If I was watching Olympics and every year people ran slower didn't jump as high and didn't perform and they perform worse and worse and worse. Would we be concerned about that? Well, yeah. Of course we would. Every right. year they break world records. Every year we reach for a new bar. So if that's okay with our athletes, how could it be okay for our children to not create functional development right. at higher levels? Why are we accepting lower levels? Why are we accepting that 54% of the kids are, according to the health and human services have chronic diseases? Mm -hmm. Why are we accepting that one in 42 kids are on the spectrum? I mean, that makes no and sense. Growing, when, and growing and growing. You know what right. the number was when I graduated chiropractic school? It was one in 2,500. So this is, that, that's the thing. So anyhow, so it's all, we, we, and you said it perfectly. We need to determine not just what the tongue tie is, but how does it affect function? And then once the tongue tie is revised, it needs to be, how do we restore back to that functional potential? Exactly, exactly. Because it's not just about cutting the frenum. Are you a professional who feels like me that we didn't learn enough about tongue tie and breastfeeding in school? Do you want to have the confidence to know that you are giving families the best information? Whatever your role on the healthcare team, if you take care of breastfeeding parents or babies or pregnant families, you play an important part in supporting infant feeding goals. Join me on May 18th at 7 p.m. for a free webinar, The Five Things That Breastfeeding Babies Want You to Know About Tongue Tie. Sorry, parents, we'll chat another time. This is just for pros. The link to join is in the show notes and all the info about how to join and the date and time will be in there for you too. It's a bit.ly link. So if you're familiar with bit.ly, bit.ly slash free tongue tie webinar. And the first letter in each of those words is capitalized. If you've been looking for factual tongue tie education, this is a great place to start and it's free. Hope to see you there. For those who haven't heard me say this, I'll, I'll say it again because it, it bears repeating. Um, I have the most um, the most concern for parents who get a quick diagnosis or a social media opinion of their infant's mouth 
I will not allow pictures of, you know, parents asking if this is a tie on any of my social media platforms. Right, right, right. We don't, right, we don't do that either. Yeah. Um, and then go and get it released by a well-meaning, even professional person who does the release. And then nothing gets better because they didn't address the underlying concerns. Maybe there was a tongue tie, but maybe it wasn't the tongue tie causing the problems. Those are the cases that are contributing to the bad press around tongue tie. And it's dangerous because those loud voices uh-huh. will prevent others from getting the care they need the care because they need. the pediatricians and primary care, and I hate to always badmouth a specific kind of medical provider, but this right. is what I see. They hear from the parents. I thought it was a tongue tie. We got the tongue tie fixed. It didn't help. It didn't help. Right. So yep. without reaching out for lactation care, without getting any body work, as we term it, or right. you know, chiropractic, OT, PT, exercises right. in the mouth, whatever is needed for that individual child, which varies, right? Not yep. every kid is the same thing. Um, and it's not available. That's the other thing is not all of these services are available to every child, whether right. it be economically or uh, low, or, low or just referral wise, you know, it's right. You know, I, I had a, a woman, she's been a patient now for just about a month for baby. She brought a baby in. Her baby wasn't nursing, having a really hard time, you know, wasn't actually gaining weight. She really wanted a nurse. She really wanted to make that connection. Um, so she was told that the baby had a tongue tie. She went to a dentist who I actually know, mm-hmm. did the revision, and he listened to her. At least he did the revision. The baby didn't still didn't nurse. Mm-hmm. And he, in his world, when well, we did the tongue tie revision, went back to a pediatrician. The pediatrician said, Look, maybe your baby just doesn't have an affinity for nursing. Why don't you try a bottle and formula? And so when she came into my office and I did my when I see a baby or any patient, I do an evaluation first. It's an exam. I don't even treat them on the first visit. I do a whole evaluation and have them come back. So I did her evaluation and I saw she was very distressed. So instead of having it come back right away, I wanted to explain to her a little bit what I found. And she just started crying. But she was like, no one said this to me. No, they said we did everything we could. You know, you've, you know, you tried the nursing, you've tried the positions, you've tried lactation consult, you've had the tongue tie revision. You know, your baby should, 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 right? The worst thing on you should be fine. And if you can't nurse, um, then you should just get a bottle and formula. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and now she's, you know, we started treating with her, tra- uh, treating her, and I've seen her probably maybe five times and she's nursing, you know, the mom's mm-hmm. much happier, the baby's much happier. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a perfect example of what you said. Well, you know, we, we did what was supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like anything. Yeah, it's like anything the else. Worse like that than that is the pediatrician that will say, you know, First of all, that advice about just give formula. First of all, the first choice would be, mom, you start pumping and save right, your milk supply. Right, right. And, you know, and, and pediatricians don't go there. They don't know to go there because right. the formula is free in their office. So exactly. this makes sense for them. Um, <laughs> and the lactation support, because if, I mean, you may treat mom and baby because right. chiropractors can, but right. some of the providers that we're sending to are just treating the baby and not looking at the mom. So Absolutely. if mom doesn't have, if mom has an insufficient milk supply from a physical reason, 
then no matter how much we fix that baby, there's not going to be milk to nurse, right? right. So that's why IBC, you know, I'm giving a plug for my profession. IBCLCs are the feeding experts for mothers and babies. No, I think it's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like people have to understand. So it's like if you have a kid who's neurologically challenged, right? Let's say you have three kids. One of them is severely neurologically challenged and that problems. And it's just exactly what you said. So if they bring this kid in who's neurologically challenged and we help the kid, you also can see how that pervasive, that's pervasive for the entire family. So like everybody has to deal with it and everybody has to get treated. Everybody has to heal around. I'm not saying everybody has to go to a chiropractor, though that's my belief system that they should, but it's like, everybody has to have some way to deal with the fact that yes, we have this kid who's, you know, we have to spend all this time and energy. Now the kid is getting better. And how do we heal from all the stuff that happened before? And it's the same thing. So this mom, which you brought, one of the reasons that I should have um, preferenced that is the reasons that I told it to, um, to give the kid formulas because she was having low milk output because the baby wasn't nursing, right? And it had been three months already. So her milk output was basically drying up and no one for some reason didn't tell her to pump, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know why, I mean, it's that, but anyhow, and so, right. So it's the same thing. So treating the mom or her getting care or, or even her getting reconnected because I'm sure I've never nursed. I don't know what it's like, but I've seen it and it looks like a very intimate experience. Yes. And if it doesn't yeah. happen, there's a lot of frustration around it. And that frustration should also be something that needs to be dealt with so that this, so that the process becomes much more fluid and is much easier. And so both parties have to kind of reacclimate. It's like getting back together with somebody, you know, you have to, you know, you have to reform that relationship on a physical level, a structural level and emotional level. Absolutely. I love that. A whole yeah. body, whole person. Approach. Um, yeah. And I, I like to say like the intimate relationship, I liken it to dancing, right? So you can, you might be a good dancer, but if you start, if somebody passes you a partner, you know, you're in a dance party and it's like, all of a sudden there's a partner that has no idea how to dance right. or doesn't have the capacity to dance the way you do. Right you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to dance well. And and with each new partner, you have to learn to dance together. And it's the same with breastfeeding because I get a lot of um, repeat parents. This is their second or third baby. Everything has gone well in the past. Right. All of a sudden this, this new baby is a challenge for them. So it's about learning how to tell, how to integrate this new dancer, this new partner, you know, together in the dance. Um, Yeah. So the, a couple of, conversations ago you dropped the words tummy time ah let's let's touch on that because who's better to address the importance of tummy time than somebody who's such an expert on the on the development of the child tummy time is another one of my um kind of venues where I spend a lot of time talking to people about it because it's such an important neurological developmental issue (laughs) so I was talking to a, um, a doula the other day, it was actually on a podcast and we were talking about milestones, developmental milestones. And what she said, which was really amazing, she considers the first developmental milestone the ability of the baby to come out of the, the birth canal head down like that. So though kids were breached and all that, she thinks that's a missing milestone. But the point around that is each milestone piggybacks on the other. So one of the first things that happens with tummy time is the child has to have the ability to pick their head up comfortably. 
If they can't, for whatever reason, if they have something like torticollis or the tissues are too tight or too loose, if they can't pick their head up and they're crying because they have tummy time, that's going to interrupt the next developmental milestone, which is their ability to turn over. Mm-hmm. All right. And the other thing about tummy time, also, if they have kids with colic that have a lot of bloating, that may be why they're uncomfortable. So when you have a child that's having trouble with tummy time, you have to determine and find out what the reasons are. Is it too much tension in the spine? Is it too, too weak musculature? Is it digestive issues? Because the other thing that happens, we keep thinking these milestones as neurological. They're also social developmental milestones. Mm-hmm. If you can't pick your head up, You can't see the world around you. You can't get input. So you need input. As we grow in our nervous system, we take in more input, and that's what makes the nervous system grow. We create interconnections, which we call synapses in the nervous system. And the actual peak developmental time when they're developing the fastest that they ever do in your life is at eight months of age. Mm-hmm. So think about that. So you got you have tummy time, which helps create neurological development of holding their head up, seeing the world, setting the stage for them to roll over which is then setting the stage to build muscle so they can sit up. And once they get to the seated position, if they haven't gotten a lot of tummy time, their neck muscles are too weak, so they can't sit well. And think about it. When you're lying on your belly, you have a very small world. When you sit up, your world opens up. So that changes your neurology, that changes your social interaction. From the seated position, then you want to start to creep and crawl. And what's so important about creeping and crawling is that not only does it build muscle strength, but it integrates the nervous system. It integrates the right and left brain. It creates what we call cross patterning. So when you're able to then stand, you can actually walk normally. Very often, if kids miss creeping and crawling, they'll have a harder time walking. They'll be less coordinated because they haven't integrated their system. And then we get to standing. And then, of course, once a child gets to standing, then their social emotional development gets huge. So the first 18 months, which is the time, you know, by 18 months, the child should be able to easily walk independently by themselves. They have then have the ability, as you pointed out, your grandson to interact with people, to understand what makes people happy, to understand what makes them happy, and also the ability to then create some of their own happiness by some level of independence. And if those phases do not happen, including that tummy time, which again is that baseline phase, it's the first thing that's going to stimulate it, then you're going to create compensatory changes. And as human beings, we are very fault tolerant, which means we can compensate. The problem is if we create compensations over those first 18 months, we reduce our threshold later on in life. So for example, at age three or four, all of a sudden your child is being diagnosed with reading issues or learning disability or behavior issues. And the reason for that is because their nervous system had compensated in the first 18 months, and now they're having trouble integrating more information because they're already in a compensatory state. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so important for those foundations to be laid down correctly so that your child has a higher threshold to deal with stresses or adaptations later on in life. I love, I love it. Thank you for so eloquently explaining um what i in my heart and soul understand but but can't find the words because to me it's like an instinct to me yeah sure that that it it should just work it's important for it to work um and i have a theory that some of our learning disabilities and you know more kids on the spectrum is related to the back to sleep campaign now i'm going going to be very careful and say i'm not saying that we shouldn't listen to safety guidelines however we've gone too far when we put a fear in parents 
that babies should never be on their belly, except for that two minutes of, you know, and, and right. there's all different kinds of prescriptions for right. when 10 minutes a day. Or or, or, right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, so to integrate, I mean, in my layman's professional, but not that, not, you know, not that professional view, it, it's an integration of all the muscles and you, not being on their back all the time and development of being able to lift the head comfortably. It, it's just something that we're missing. And if that, if what you just said is true, which I believe it is about yeah. how it, all that development is going on in the first 18 months and we're, we're thwarting that. Yeah. yeah. Then, so, then we're hurting, you know, that could be a, a reason that our standards are dropping, you know, because. Absolutely. So there's a difference between cautious and people couching people in fear. Yes. And so in the 90s, what you're talking about is the American Pediatric Association came out with statements saying that kids should not sleep on their stomachs because they have a higher propensity for sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS. In the chiropractic venue, and there have been studies, there was actually a study done in Harvard by a guy named Talbot, that he actually found that a large percentage of the kids in his study, 90% of the kids who actually had SIDS, who passed away and he did autopsy, had actually had trauma to the upper cervical spine to the extent that there was actually bleeding in the tissue. So it had nothing to wow. do with them sleeping on the stomach. There was damage there. And some of them, he found that the highest percentage was due to the birth process, assisted deliveries like C-section, vacuum, and forceps, because mm -hmm. it tracks it. But that being aside, that being aside, in the chiropractic paradigm, or in a healthcare paradigm, it should not be a death sentence to sleep on your stomach. So there's some underlying issue. And what happened when the American Pediatric Association did that, they had people sleeping on the head. So what they did is they increased, because you can't do one thing without it having a downward effect. They right. increased the propensity and then of kids who have what they call flathead syndrome yes. or brachiocephaly and flagiocephaly. Matter of fact, according to their last statistics, 47% of children born today or 47% of infants have cranial distortions. But in their world, only 10% of them need to be treated. The rest you should leave alone. Now, in my world, that's not the, but again, and it's because of that. So Yeah, so for those um, who are listening who don't know what we're talking about, about treatment, those are the kids that you see that get prescribed a helmet right. for their head shape. And I've had reports because I've seen babies in my office and they go, is your pediatrician concerned about this baby's head shape? And they'll say, not yet. It's too early for a helmet. Right, I, is, like my head wants to explode when I hear yeah. that because it's not nothing or a helmet. Exactly. There, there's so well, much to be done, but we could go, we can do a whole yeah. episode on but, that. Right. That, well, no, we can. And then, but part <laughs> of the chiropractic paradigm and the chiropractic evaluation video to chiropractors is checking the cranium, measuring the cranium, and actually treating the cranium as soon as possible if there are distortions caused by, you know, either what it may be birth traumas or sleeping mm -hmm. positions or whatever it may be. So, right. Yeah. Right. But you're right. Keep waiting. Wait and see is, you know, it's different when you're 40 years old and you want to see if your knee gets better by itself. But when you're an infant and you're laying down a foundation, wait and see is a horrible approach. Right, right. And um, to be fair, pediatricians know what they've learned. Yeah. You know? I mean, oh, no. they know what they've learned and they've learned in a different paradigm than we've learned. Right. They've learned in different, and, and, you know, there, and, and there are pediatricians that have a more global look yes. and are more holistic yes. and do that. So it's, it's who you find. What I always tell parents 
And you actually said it a minute ago. If you're a mom or a dad, but if you're a mom, trust your intuition. If it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. Right. And find somebody who who not will necessarily agree with you. Because I don't sometimes parents will come in and say, Oh, I'm really worried about Johnny, blah, 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 blah. But no, according to my evaluation, he's fine. But you need to find someone who will at least listen to you and address the concerns and then either quantify what's going on, send you to someone else to look at it, or assuage your fears by letting you know that no, this is normal, it's okay. He's, he or she is going to be okay. Right, right. Yeah. So it's just getting it blown off. Yeah, that's that's a great um, time, a great point to wrap on because okay. I say that all the time. And I love that you brought that up yeah. is the most important thing we can do for parents is to empower them to trust right. their instincts. Absolutely. Over any profession that they're, they're talking to. So if it doesn't feel right to you, and I say that to, to people who sit right here in my office with me, if oh, what yeah. I'm telling you does not feel right to you for your baby, then don't listen to me. You have to yeah, do what absolutely. feels yeah, right absolutely. for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, Dr. Rosen, how can our um, listeners find you? I mean, I'll put some links in the show notes, but if I'll you want to just, for those who are just listening and can't read right now, what's the best way for them to find you and to find your new book, which I'm so excited to read. I am. So if you want to find more about my office and, and general chiropractic information, go to Wellesley, W-E-L-L-E-S-L-E-Y, Cairo, C-H-I-R-O.com. That's my office website. Um, if you are a professional and want to find more about our professional services, um, you can go to my other website, which is drdrmartinrosen.com or if you want to look at our programs, you can go to peakpotentialprogram.com. And the last thing, um, if you want to get our book, you can go to the website. It's all in the book.com, or you can buy it on Amazon if you want to help Jeff Bezos make some more money. You know, he needs more rocket ships. That's okay. And of course, if you want to contact us, our, G, our, our Gmail address is Dr. Martin Rosen, Dr. Martin Rosen at Gmail. And we'll be happy to answer your questions and connect with you um, and help you find a practitioner if you need one that can kind of help you with your child and your issues. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. This um, conversation has been very valuable, both to myself and to our listeners, I'm sure. It was a pleasure to chat with you. And I hope to have you on again, because I feel like there are so many channels that we can just keep chatting up uh, in different directions. Thank you so much, Dr. Rosen. And thank you for having me. And I uh, really appreciate again what you do. And I'd love to be back on and go down another path together. It was awesome. And it was great talking to you again, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Tongue Tie Experts podcast. Check out the show notes for useful links about the topics we discussed and for ways to follow us on social media. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you enjoyed listening, we'd love it if you'd rate, review, and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.